Hello and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, National NBA writer for the Washington Post. And after we just finished recording with Jeff McDonald from the San Antonio Express News about the Spurs, we now go to our first ever repeat guest on the podcast, uh, ESPN's Ethan Sherwood-Strauss, back to talk about the Warriors after a acclaimed first appearance. I would say critically acclaimed, but there really hasn't been any critically there haven't really been any critics reviewing the podcast, but it was an acclaimed appearance. So, um, so Ethan, are you are you are you delighted that your trip to New York is uh, next weekend instead of this weekend? So you missed the uh, the storm of the century. Well, I'm from San Diego, so I don't know how weather works necessarily. So I didn't know if that just means that there will still be snow or there will still be weather or if it will still be this weird Game of Thrones north of the wall. Uh, winter hellscape when I get up there. So I, I guess if you tell me it's going to be good when I get there, then okay. It's not going to. It's not going to snow thirty inches while you're here. If there might be. It, there will still be snow, and it might snow while you're here, but it's not going to snow thirty inches in about fifteen hours. So um, that that'll work out okay. Word for it. I will be cautiously optimistic. I, I know that when I was in Cleveland after that Warriors blowout went over the Cavs, I was having a conversation with Dave McMinimum and. Uh, I was the coldest I'd ever been in my entire life, and I couldn't finish my thought because I was shivering and my voice started wavering. So if it's not like that, then I'm happy. Now, that was it was bitterly cold. As someone who grew up a couple hours from, from Cleveland in, in West, Western New York State, it was bitterly cold uh, in Cleveland for that game last Monday that we were both at. Um and that that's that's a good that's a good transition not, into not, not as cold as it was in the locker room. Well, well, not as cold as it was there. No, that's true. Uh, it's it's been. I, I saw you a week ago, and uh, actually, most uh, for a good part of last week because we were, we were both at that Warriors blowout win over the Cavs, um, starting a very strange week for the Cavs, and then we were both at the Warriors uh, equally impressive blowout win over the Bulls in Chicago a couple days later, and. I remember we 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 were standing outside the locker room and we watched Steve Kerr walk out and kind of recoil at the sight of five million media members right outside the door, um, and and I know we were I remember we were talking about the fact that you know after Steve had done some improv at Second City uh, in Chicago the night before the game uh, and he looked like he was doing pretty well you know we we were kind of saying seems like he's going to be back pretty soon lo and behold he's back on Friday. Um, you know, it's been it's been a few months uh, since he had these uh, complications from his back surgery over the summer, um, which has been well documented. And Luke Walton's been coached the team in his place. But um, I know you wrote about this for ESPN after Friday's win over the Pacers. But what was it like uh, to to finally have him back on the court and kind of fully assume you know his duties coaching the team? It, it felt like everything was whole again. It, it, there was a void, and it was less a void than there was kind of this unanswered question hanging over everything, where Luke didn't quite have the authority to be the coach fully. He did a great job under the circumstances, but there was a bit of a substitute teacher aspect where Draymond Green could check himself into these games uh, to complete his triple-doubles. I don't think we're going to be seeing that with Kerr fully at the helm. And it was just good to get his perspective again. I mean, maybe this is one of those, maybe from a media guy perspective, you care about this and the fans don't. But the difference with Luke and Steve in terms of just how they explain things, and a lot of this might just relate to the amount of authority 
that Steve has uh, vis-a-vis Luke is that Steve will go on, he'll really explain things, he'll really break things down, he'll get philosophical, it makes for a much more interesting press conference uh, than Luke's are, no offense to Luke, who did a pretty good job. No, and Steve's, and Steve's is one of the more interesting people in the league, too. Um, he obviously spent a long time in the media. Um, you know, it's just a really interesting guy. So, um, you know, from that standpoint, it is it is great to have him back. And uh, I, I I thought, I, and we talked about it a little bit before we came on, but um, I kind of wanted you to, to expound on a point that, you know, Andrew Boga was talking about in, in your piece um, after the game, kind of about, you know, the, the impact uh, that Steve has had and, and kind of how how things are going, um, how things are going in Golden State and how it's different than a lot of other places. Yeah, so what you know, what I know, what a lot of people know, the NBA is a cruel working environment, you know, compared to a lot of other places. It is, we know, we know with coaches, and we've seen it in Cleveland recently, uh, how quick those tenures are, and you've got a lot of machismo, uh, mixed with a lot of job insecurity, it's not exactly the easiest place to get everybody on the same page pulling together. There are, there are a lot of political machinations behind the scenes. I think the Warriors are different from a lot of other teams in just how united the coaching staff is. You have this dynamic where uh, Kerr has built a staff with people he's friends with, people he has a, a deep background with, and younger people who are not going to be exactly gunning for his spot. They're going to be a bit more reverent than that. The, the exception to that, of course, is Ron Adams, but Ron Adams is, I think he's accepted it, a career assistant in the NBA, not somebody who's going for the top spot. So it's a culture where they've really embraced this idea of subverting your ego um, and it all sounds corny. You know, it all sounds like I'm doing PR for them when I talk about it, but it seems legit. It seems like it's real when you have people who like each other and who are trying not to position themselves for credit, as we saw with the coaching staff before this coaching staff and how corrosive that can be. And I think that that explains a lot of the success that we've seen so far. Well, and, and, it, and it's also a nice dovetail into the team they're playing, right? Because Steve obviously, you know, famously played for not just Phil Jackson with the with the Bulls, but he also played for the Spurs and Greg Popovich. And and there's a lot of a lot of things that you can see that the Spurs do that the Warriors have tried to emulate. Um, in in yeah. a lot of areas, and I well, I think that's that's one of them. The Spurs have that I've heard about is if you don't, it's an RC Buford thing. If you don't know how to do something, hire somebody to do it. You know this idea of delegation of if you accept that you don't know everything and you're not the expert on everything, and you're not worried about seeming like the expert in everything. You can actually accumulate more knowledge as a collective than if you're trying to seem like the leader who knows all and who's, you know, omniscient. And I think you see that reflected in what the Warriors are doing and the Spurs really set the model on that. Yeah, no, and, and they in in that and you can see it goes beyond that. You look at kind of the way um the way they the way like you said, they kind of focus on everybody subverting their egos and kind of the whole group collective. There's a lot of there's a lot of things that you can see in in what the Spurs do that the Warriors have emulated, which is what makes this matchup really interesting. Um now, now going into into this game on Monday night, Ethan, what what things are you um, are you hoping to see? You know, with the caveat that we're obviously not going to see these teams, you know, pulling out all the stops that they would in a playoff series. But but what what things will you be will you be curious to look at when uh, when the game starts? 
I want to see if the Spurs go ultra big. I know that's a little harder now that Tim Duncan's not playing. I want to see them go ultra small, maybe with Diaw as the center, uh, if they try that out. Uh, as for things that will probably happen, I want to see Kawhi Leonard guard Draymond Green because that seems to be a logical way to try to uh, stymie Green plus mess with that Green-Curry pick-and-roll that's just so essential to the Warriors' offense. And I want to see Kawhi Leonard guard uh, Curry for a little while. Now, what we saw, as much as people talk about wanting to see that, I think we already saw a preview of it, and it wasn't that thrilling. It wasn't the mano-a-mano matchup that you would have thought, because when they just played the Pacers, Paul George, for a lot of the game, guarded Steph Curry. But a difference in how Curry approaches these situations now versus the past is that he doesn't try to go at the go at the uh, the bigger guy and try to embarrass him and try to just dribble out the clock and go step back three. Uh, they've really instilled this sense that you move the ball and that if a team is taking some measure they usually don't use in order to guard you, that destabilizes the defense elsewhere. And it's a Kerr phrase and axiom he always uses that it all comes out in the wash. So I think that if Kawhi Leonard guard Steph Curry, you're going to see Steph just give up the ball and run through a bunch of screens as opposed to trying to break him down. Now, now from your standpoint, and that and I just talked about this with Jeff before, um, what would your approach be with Kawhi Leonard? Would you, I mean, I'm sure he'll spend time on a lot of guys. I think in the past he spent a lot of time uh, primarily on Clay Thompson, kind of shutting Clay Thompson out of things. Um, what what if you if you were the Spurs and trying to stop the Warriors, you know how would you go about doing it and specifically or trying to do it and specifically how would you employ would employ Kawhi? Would you? It's it it sounds at least in part like I think you might put him on on Draymond primarily or yeah. a lot of the time. I I would now you have to move some other things around in order to do that, but I would try to maximize my time where where that can happen. Now it gets a little bit. It gets a little bit tricky because, in many instances, that means playing Kawhi Leonard at the four, which is something the Spurs have been reluctant to do. Uh, but I would try to do that when I can do that. Something that was interesting sort of alters my thinking, though. Uh, Kerr, today at practice, said that in looking at the Spurs, he was really impressed by Tony Parker's defense. Now, I can't say that I'm an expert on that or know if that's true or not, but that's interesting to me. I mean, that's something to watch for, too. How is Tony Parker going to hold up against Steph Curry? I think in past matchups, he, he kind of got roasted uh, in his time on Steph, but I, I, maybe that's an asset for them. Maybe that allows them not to take extreme measures in order to stop the, this Warriors attack, but uh, that's a long, rambling way of saying is I, I'm not sure how you stop this Warriors team that I've, I've seen a lot of. I don't I don't quite know the answer. I just know that the Spurs and having this historically great defense are probably best equipped to try. Yeah, and I, I agree on, on on that both those fronts, both that it's it's hard to figure out the way to do it and that if anybody's going to figure it out, it's Greg Popovich and this team. Um, and I was just saying to Jeff, I, I think that the, the way to use Kawhi is to put him on Draymond as much as possible. If that means you know putting LaMarcus or somebody on Harrison Barnes or however you, you find a way to do it, I, you know what? I might want to do that. Harrison has been looking shaky since coming back from the ankle. He he has that pump fake, and there's something about the footwork of that pump fake that it just doesn't seem that effective, and he hasn't really been getting to the rim. He's been getting to the rim with a timing that gets him blocked when he gets there. I mean, you could try it out. You could have, you could have Aldridge uh, guard Harrison Barnes and see what happens, and it might work out for you. 
Yeah, and I, I just feel like, and I, I think you agree, you know, for as great as Steph is, um, you know, deserving MVP, you know, unbelievable player, I, I just feel like when you watch the, the Warriors, the thing that makes them go is Draymond at both ends, whether it's his ability to guard all five spots on defense or when he grabs the ball and brings it up on offense and becomes the point guard and Steph and Clay are flying around, coming off screens, you know, hunting for threes in transition. You know, Draymond's averaging, I think, seven and a half assists a game or something remarkable this season. It just, it really feels like if you can, if you can slow him down, that's really going to stymie a lot of the stuff that Golden State likes to do, especially when they go small. Definitely, and it's it's a weapon that a lot of teams don't have. Just this um, this power forward who not only can just switch on to anybody, but after he does that and the shot goes up, suddenly the cross matches might be a little bit skewed because of that, and you don't have the guys you're naturally guarding right next to each other because the Warriors have switched so much, and then he has the ability to push it down the floor and dish. Now, uh, it's going to be hard. Uh, it's going to be hard to really account for him or make sure that Kawhi is on him as much as possible in those transition situations because they're so destabilized. But the Spurs seem to be a great transition defense team. I know Danny Green is one of the best historically transition defenders I've ever seen. Um, So they seem to be fairly well-equipped to handle that attack. Now, one place that the Spurs might struggle with is they're they're a drop team when it comes to pick and roll. Uh, They kind of sag back on it and they, they want to chase over, and I, I don't know if they're comfortable bringing some of those bigs when it's uh, when, when one of those bigs are involved in pick and roll and Steph Curry is involved in it. I don't know how comfortable those bigs are running out there above the three-point line and containing Curry. That's definitely something to watch for as a potential weak point. And, and I would not blame them for not being comfortable with that because I would not want to be in the, uh, in the Steph Curry blender out beyond the three-point line, um, you know, dribbling around. Um, no. You know, and we saw the, those games against the, the Cavs and the Bulls right after, you know, the, the Warriors had probably their worst game of the season, uh, getting beat pretty handily in Detroit, only their fourth loss of the season. Um, do you do you think those performances, and, and even, I mean, they were great again uh, Friday night too, um, do you think that, that that Pistons game was kind of a, a wake-up call in a sense for – a team that you know, for really for a few weeks, had been saying wasn't quite playing up to its its potential, even though they were beating a lot of teams or just about everybody. Um, or, or do you think that you know they saw a couple marquee games on the schedule, you know, with that Cavs game, the Spurs game coming up, even that Bulls game, it's a national TV game. Um, do you did they or did they see some some you know marquee dates on the calendar and decide to to turn it up a notch? I think it was a wake up call. I think. Uh... Kerr said that we needed to get our asses kicked in that game um, in order to really make it clear that, and I've used the phrase, the uh, Bill Parcells phrase, that winning's a great deodorant. When you win your flaws, you just don't feel the urgency to address them. And the Warriors were playing flawed basketball, but they were eking out some wins, and they didn't really feel the need to address those flaws. And getting smacked like that by a well-prepared, well-coached Pistons team I think allowed them to address some of that. And I do think that it, it had something to do with the blowout victories that followed, and it wasn't just a matter of overlooking the Pistons. The Pistons are pretty good. So I, I do think in the uh, paradoxical way that the NBA schedule works, getting beaten, losing, helped with the winning. 
Yeah, no, it, it was hard to think anything else when you were watching that game on Monday. And, you know, the Cavs had come into that game, you know, talking a lot. And, you know, they, they clearly saw that as an important game. And, you know, Golden State comes out and just houses them from the opening jump. Um, you know, that game was never competitive. And, you know, I, I think, you know, to, to step back from the Spurs game for just a minute, um, do you – how many teams do you look at in the league right now that are true challengers to Golden State? Is it is it just the Spurs? Because I know you've basically written off the Cavs, um, and maybe and yeah. maybe that's changed after the coaching change. Maybe maybe you might reserve yeah, judgment. You, you but. don't know. There there, there are always um, there are always possibilities that you can't really that you can't really fathom. The Thunder, for instance, I haven't seen the Thunder play the Warriors yet, so I can't really write them off. Um, I think that they're weak a little bit on the wings, and that's an issue for them. But uh, maybe against this Warriors team, I I don't know. So I would still leave it open a little bit with the Thunder, but obviously the primary challenger, the primary threat, are the Spurs, and it's it's those two teams. I I for the most, it's funny. People say they want they want to seem savvy by saying that it's just one game, and that's actually what a lot of people said after that game on Monday. Evidently, it wasn't. <laughs> when you look at the, the coaching change that was right, made. Right. Uh, but beyond that, home blowouts are a really negative indicator. Um, and when you get blown out to that extent, when you're trailing by 43, if, bo- if, you're, if you're healthy and that team's healthy, you're not winning that series. I, think, I, I don't think that's extreme. I don't think that's overreactive. So at this moment, I think it's fair to discount the Cavs as a threat unless there's some sort of injury and to uh, – acknowledge the Spurs and the Thunder as the two remaining threats. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, you know, you you said I think you I think the phrase you used on your podcast is that um uh the other day after that game was that you know, sometimes it's you know, people think it's a hot take in the moment, but it's really just someone speaking to what reality is. And yes. I th- you and I both took similar you both wrote similar pieces after that game Monday, which was basically you look at this matchup, and unless something dramatic changes, and I don't, I don't, I mean, a, a coaching change could maybe be enough of a dramatic change. I don't think it is. Um, unless something changes dramatically, the Cavs are not beating this team. So, yeah. you know, maybe they could beat the Spurs or the Thunder in a series. Um, they probably match up better with both of those teams, but they're not beating this Golden State team. And, and I, you know, I agree. I, I think, you know, sometimes one game does tell you a lot and you you look at that game and you look at just the way that the Warriors just utterly wiped the floor with the Cavs and it's now five wins in a row over that team and going back to last year's finals and really five games in a row that Golden State has looked like you know the the superior team I know that game was kind of close or it was pretty close in Oakland on Christmas Day but it wasn't you know even though the Cavs had some excuses with Kyrie uh, Irving being limited minutes wise, it didn't really ever well, feel like the, the Cavs are going to win that game. Well, I think the term uh, the term that gets used is signature significance when one event is big enough that it has meaning. Um, because I think the the savvy way to go about it for people is small sample size this, small sample size that, and there's this just death. Just people are deathly afraid of just having an opinion that's uh, potentially ahead of the curve. Um, and I think 
think social media is part of that because if you're out in a limb, it can seem like even more of a limb. But, you know, like I, I point to James Harden's first game uh, with the Rockets where he goes off for, what was it, over 40 points? Yeah, I think I, so. I think that was a good... Yeah, it was a, that people I remember uh, in reaction to that game were saying, "Okay, don't overreact." Or, like, no, this is clear that this guy is this level of, of player, and you know had been on the bench, and you can see that in the one game where you don't go off for over forty points like that without being that kind of player. So I think that there are some events in the eighty-two game schedule that have meaning, and I think that was one of them that we saw. Yeah, no, totally. And and to, to circle back to the Spurs, the reason I brought that up is. You know, you and I have talked going back to last year, um, just about about this matchup. Um, and you know, the thing the thing that you've always said, and I, I've I've thought made a lot of sense, is that f- the the Warriors have have kind of vanquished everybody at this point, except for the Spurs. They never played the Spurs in the playoffs last year, um, if I remember right. Are, are they the last team? No, they're not the last team to beat them. That was two years ago. They lost to the Spurs in the playoffs. Or I guess I guess three years ago now, two years yeah, ago. Yeah, but it was the, the last but... real. I, I feel like it was the last real one. The one with the Clippers that was so weird because they'd fired their entire coaching staff. Mark Mark was already pre-fired. Um, Bogut wasn't playing in the series. There's a lot of weird stuff they, going on. There's a lot of weird. A lot stuff of weird on. stuff going on for the Clippers too. They had a weird postseason. Yeah, that was the, that was the Donald stuff. Sterling thing. There was a lot of weird things happening. But, I, um, I just remember in the Spurs series, the Warriors. Uh, they they tied it one one after outplaying them in the first game that they lost before that incredible crazy Spurs comeback and a lot of people locally thought that the Warriors are going to win that series and I think some people said that the Warriors are going to win the series now they just got outclassed from from that moment on uh, but that was the first I think that 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 at least was the first series loss. Maybe the only series loss the Warriors have had that felt like a legitimate, you know, a legitimate painful loss. But then again, now that I think about it, they haven't really lost a series they were expected to win yet, and that's mostly because until very recently there'd be no reason to expect the Warriors to win playoff series. I mean, the, the first time they were expected to win a playoff series was the first round of last year's playoffs, and then yeah, you know, I mean, they were they they won that series three years ago now in the first round as a six seed over the Nuggets. Um, that's crazy to think about. That might be true since the 1990s. Now that I think about it, yeah, I think that's true. Well, it's it's <laughs> it's not it's not that you think it's true. I mean, I'm sure it's true. I I mean they they I mean they're only in the playoffs what once or twice that whole the, the whole 2000s and the one I mean obviously famously beat the the Mavericks, but although some they people weren't, they weren't expected money, to they weren't beat expe- the Jazz right. after that, yeah. right? They weren't expected yeah. to beat the Jazz, and while some people thought. They were a tough matchup for the Mavericks. That Mavericks team had won 67 games. Nobody, you know, people bet them to win, but I don't think anybody, you know, outside of maybe, like, you know, professional gamblers like Corralbus Volgaris, who I think bet a lot of money on that series. Um, I, you know, That's I'm, just really a good testament to the, uh, the incompetence over such a long time that the last time before last year the Warriors were expected to win a playoff series was was maybe the mid 1990s. Well, it's, uh, yeah, probably like, earlier than that, right? It's probably yeah. it's, it's probably when it was probably at the height of the TMC days. Was with uh, it's probably I mean we'd have to, I'd have to go back and look, but I I'd, it'd be I'd be hard pressed to think that after that group split up, they were ever supposed to win a playoff series, um, which is crazy. I mean, because you're talking close to 25 years. The amazing thing about that is it's basically the same amount of time that San Antonio has been great. 
Yeah. Which yeah, is which that's is a, the other incredible which thing. is a crazy dichotomy. But um we we did kind of get sidetracked though. I do you do you still feel that way that uh, about the Spurs that they are kind of the one team that that does, you know, maybe not give the words a fear factor now that they've won a championship, but the the one team that they at least are going to go into these games, you know, with a little bit of doubt about, you know, whether or not they can come out on top over these guys. I think so, but they they did not they did not respond that way when asked about it, and I was curious about it, and some other people asked about it, and I asked I asked Kerr about uh, what he takes away from that game, and I, I acknowledge it was a long time ago where they got smacked in San Antonio last season, and he said I don't take anything from it really because as you said it was a long time ago, and uh, when when he was asked about that sort of fear factor perhaps. Um, he basically said, well, I should hope not. I mean, we won the championship, you know, basically, basically ring. So I think, um, if you're in Draymond Green also said similar things. So I think that from the way they're talking, there's a new sense that there should be no appropriate fear as Greg Popovich calls it, that term of, of, uh, fearing your opponent, or at least there should be less of it. I'm looking back at this and, Maybe I'm I'm wrong about it, but I think uh, the Warriors beat the Spurs in 1991 in the playoffs, and I think that might have been an upset. I'm I'm not sure. Uh, we might have to go back to the 1980s for the series <laughs> the Warriors were expected to win. It's a pretty it's a pretty remarkable thing. Um, <laughs> let's let's transition a little bit because um, we we've kind of danced around it. Some obviously, you know, the Warriors are off to an incredible start. Uh, I believe they're thirty nine and four. Is that their record now? Forty and four. There's not. There's not forty. I think forty. No, I, I'm. I'm. I'm not sure. I was. I was. I said that without really knowing the answer. Yeah, they're forty and four. Um, you know, twenty and four on the road, twenty and zero at home. Um, you know, the the question now starts being raised. You know, more and more with each win. Can can these guys get to? 70 wins or more can they get to 72 can they get to 73 so let me ask you this in two parts um can do you think it's possible for the warriors to get to 70 or more wins something that only the 96 bulls have ever done and do you believe that they are going to do their best to go for it as opposed to um as opposed to maybe, you know, giving guys some nights off here and there and, you know, maybe, you know, forfeiting is not the right word, but maybe not being too worried about losing a couple games as the season wears on. Well, they've got a saboteur in their ranks in Steve Kerr, who is part of that uh, that 72-win Bulls team, who does favor rest and does favor giving guys nights off. So I think that they can do it. I think that it's going to be difficult uh, with those off nights taken into account. But what we forget about that 72-win Bulls team is that they dropped a few towards the end. They started out a lot better than they finished. And part of that, I think, is that uh, you need to be able to chase that rabbit. And they were chasing getting to 70. So once they got past that, I don't necessarily think they felt the need to push it. I might be wrong about that. I haven't really checked out the game logs. For that, so I, I think even though the Warriors are off the Bulls' pace, that doesn't necessarily mean 
um, that they can't do it anymore. I think there's still a good chance of it. They need to have some success in these upcoming games against the Thunder and Spurs. Uh, the schedule's gotten harder, but there's still a chance at it. I think at this point, though, I would say, I would, I would say that the probability is they don't do it. I, I was thinking they were going to until I wrote about it the other other day after that Chicago game when I said they needed to try to go for it, and I, I looked at their upcoming schedule. A quarter of their remaining schedule is against the Clippers, Thunder, and Spurs. So yeah. even if even if they go six and three in those games, which is probably, you know, if they play nine games against those teams, six and three is probably realistically about as well as you're going to do, um, considering I think – four or five of those games are on the road. Um, you know, if you if, if they go six and three, that means the rest of their schedule they can go something like, I don't know, twenty eight and five, which I mean is possible, but you're just you're really it's just asking it's just asking a lot. And and I know and you did you did you did mention about how Steve ha- has become someone that favors rest, but do you do you see do you I mean it's clear guys like Steph Curry are gonna want to go for it. Um, Definitely. Do you, do you think Definitely. that do you think that Kerr do you think that Kerr would 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 chase after um, or be more willing to chase after a historical mark like that or do you think that you know some of the some of his thoughts about rest and that kind of stuff is is more dogmatic in in that he wouldn't um, he wouldn't be willing to uh, he wouldn't be willing to bend on that if that if it kind of came down to a choice of do we push if for this or the doctors are coming to him, if the trainers are coming to him, and they're saying that the information we're getting says that these guys are ragged, I think he's going to listen to that. I think he, he understands that if you lose in the playoffs, people don't care how many wins you had prior to that. I think it's a philosophical difference between him and Curry. I think Curry... From everybody who knows him, who talks to him, says he deeply cares about history. He's intensely competitive, and he wants to win literally every game. That there isn't that broader perspective. He he wants to win every game, which sounds like a cliche and doesn't sound like it's saying a lot, but it is. It is a bit of a difference um, that even the small competitions, even the small competitions, have mean have meaning to him. So I think he'd be more inclined to push himself, and it might be Kerr's role to perhaps save save Steph from himself a bit. I would I would tend to agree with that. I mean, the way these teams are now, if the doctors come and say guys need to sit, they're pretty much always just going to sit. Um, and yeah. and by the way, the answer to your question is 1992. The third seeded Warriors lost to the six seeded Sonics in the first round. Um, a Warriors team including the likes of Tom Tolbert. Jim Peterson, Judd Boosler, uh, man, Mario we've got, Ellie. we've got some announcing talent. We've got some broadcast talent on that. Team. Yeah, it just uh, I just was going down through the the list. It's a uh, Tony Massenberg was on that team. Um, so so Rod the gap Higgins. between the Warriors being favored in the playoff series was 1992 to 2015. Yeah, basically the entire lifetime of uh, most of the players on the Warriors. That's incredible. Yeah, it's, it's, they were so bad for so long. They, they were just, they really were unbelievably I, bad and now they have now they have the the best team in the league and potentially uh um you know and and, and maybe the best team in the league for a while now. Um what do you, obviously there's not much that's wrong with a team that's that's 40 and 4 but um as someone who watches them closely is there any I mean beyond the beyond the just the slippage that they had for a couple weeks um 
where you know I think they they might have got a little complacent before that that Pistons loss. Um, do you do you see anything about this team that that has become kind of a question? I mean, you mentioned Harrison Barnes maybe has been a little shaky. Is that the is that the if you're nitpicking? Is that maybe the one thing that that has you know, maybe not been a concern, but has has been more of an issue than you expected, or is there something else? Yeah, that's my nitpick. Is is Harrison? He just hasn't seemed as forceful um, as he's been at his at his better points. I'm looking at his numbers, and in January he's shooting uh, 42 between 42 and 43 um, percent. You know, he he hasn't been playing all that well, so. That's that's one guy in particular, and I'm sure there there are others. And I wonder how the rotation is going to be influenced because with Kerr coming back, Kerr has this deep personal connection to Barbosa from the Suns days, and is more inclined to use him in the rotation and has bumped him up in the rotation. I don't know how that's going to really influence Brandon Rush, whose career has been resuscitated, um, and you know suddenly can just just hit threes, and he was he hit three three pointers. All of last season, he hit more than that in uh, the game against Portland. So that's a big difference between how Rush was playing last year versus this year. I wonder what that does to Rush's confidence. And he was such a nice asset for them as just this found found money wing who could uh, who could spread the floor. Yeah, that they, the the Warriors do have kind of an interesting problem in that, in that they've got they've probably got what five guys for four spots now. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's an odd rotation too because your boy Sean Livingston can fill so many spots. That's so right. It's very hard to predict who's where and, and when. Yeah, because they they play what they play. Obviously, they start Steph and Clay, and then they have it. It's some combination of of Livingston, Brush, and Barbosa, right? I mean, that's their. But by, by the way, I awkwardly offended Sean. I think after the Chicago game, <laughs> I think I I think I offended him. Um, I uh, on the broadcast. Somebody was saying that he had analogized his game to a pineapple upside down cake. Um, it's ugly, but it gets the job done. <laughs> Apparently, he didn't say it was ugly. And when I when I said ugly, it sounded like I was editorializing. I think he was legitimately uh, legitimately offended by that one. It was a good a good uh, curb your enthusiasm, Larry David moment for me in the uh, in the locker room. Just one of just one of many uh, curb your enthusiasm <laughs> moments for for. Ethan Strauss. I really think that by having this job is, is uh, if I were a more religious person, I would think it was just God playing a prank, just just <laughs> just creating amusement for himself. It uh, it it you you're always are a source of amusement. Like when we were in Boston and you needed help with the map, as we we described at the start of the last time you were on. I, um, I wouldn't say need. I mean, I welcomed it. This goes back to the core principles, Tim. I, I didn't want to <laughs> arrogantly act like I knew everything. Sometimes you have to delegate. That's how that's how you fit into the uh, into the the Warriors ethos. Um, I'm uh, just trying to learn what I can learn. One one guy we haven't talked about actually, who we probably should, is Luke Walton, um, who just was replaced by Steve Kerr the other day. Um, what you know that obviously I think we talked about this the last time you were on, but you know that was a, a pretty gutsy move by Kerr. To, to make him the interim head coach instead of Ron Adams, a, you know, a longtime respected assistant and probably the obvious choice in many people's eyes to do it, um, as opposed to Luke, a young guy who, you know, only a couple of years ago was coaching in the D-League and not even as a head coach and now is, you know, coaching the Warriors, the defending champs, and gets them off to this amazing start. Um, you know, now that his run as the interim coach is complete, um, you know, if you could just kind of assess how you thought it went, um, maybe overall compared to what you thought it was going to be and 
you know, he's clearly not going to be with the Warriors next year because he's going to have a job uh, as a head coach. I think that's very safe to say after this start. And uh, where where do you think are some places he might end up? Yeah, so I don't. You might know about. You might know that better than I would, just because I don't necessarily. I don't necessarily have contacts with teams that might want him or or know what the rumblings are there. I know there's speculation about the Knicks. I don't know. I mean, they seem to be doing better than expectations or around what expectations are. There's certainly speculation about the Lakers and those two spots seem like decent landing spots. But I'm not even totally sure that he'll be somewhere else next year. I I know that's what Draymond Green said, uh, where he he said that Luke's going to be gone if if GMs know anything. Uh, But looking at what's happened with Alvin Gentry in New Orleans, obviously he got his money. So the check's still clear, so that's good. But that doesn't seem to be a happy situation. I, I wonder, you know, if, I, I don't know if Luke is just going to jump into a bad situation with a bad team necessarily. I don't, I don't know if that's the trajectory he wants. So I think that's his big choice. No, I, I would agree with that. I don't, I don't think he's going to jump into a job that isn't a good one. But like, I, I don't like. There's been a lot of rumblings that Phoenix is going to make a run at him. I can't imagine. Mm-hmm. He goes and coaches that Suns team, given the mess that it's been the last feel, couple of years. Yeah, I feel like the head coach of the Warriors might not. I mean, I'm just guessing. Yes, might not have the most glowing reviews. That, but that's just a guess. That's just a guess. I mean, I I think that the Laker job makes all the sense in the world. Um, you know, your dog clearly agrees. Um, oh wow! I didn't know he was that audible. Oh no! All the way from upstairs. Oh, it's all it's all good. It just it that's made, some Steph Curry range. That that is some Steph Curry range. Um, <laughs> no, I I think the Laker job makes all the sense in the world for him. He obviously played a long time for the franchise. Uh, he's a Southern California guy. Um, he uh, you know he'd get to you know get to coach a young team with a lot of young talent. Whether they keep their draft pick or not, uh, they'll have money in free agency. Uh, Luke's a pretty easygoing guy. I think he'd be pretty good as a recruiter, um, trying to get guys to come play there. Um, you know, when they sit down for meetings, obviously he has. You know, he'll have the Warriors shine on him, which will help too. Um, I, I do think that the Knicks would be a possibility because of Phil Jackson, uh, who has a real close connection with Luke. But at the same time, like you mentioned, uh, Derek Fisher's gotten much better this year. The team is pretty good, um, better than expectations. So I don't think. I don't think that job will be open, but um, if if you could though, like what? Obviously, that was kind of a surprising move when it was made. What what, what was your takeaway from from how it played out and how he he kind of handled the job and and grew into it over the last couple months? I think he did about as good a job as it, as could have been expected. There, people are going to forget about this because it worked out well, but there is legitimate worry at how this was going to go. Um, and I know there was nervousness just from the Warriors executives because they didn't know what to expect. Obviously, they liked Luke, but he's this 35-year-old guy. And, you know, management was always amenable to adding more coaching talent. That's a, that's a Joe Lake of thing. And that's, that, that was really a tension between, uh, between him and between Mark Jackson was that he wanted to add more talent to the assistant coaching staff. And Mark was against it. So Luke makes, I mean, Steve makes Luke his number two guy. He's untested. Then this crazy calamity happens and he can't coach. Uh, people didn't know how it would go. And I think it went well in part because Luke didn't try to be somebody he wasn't. Because NBA players, they are really, really perceptive when you're f- about fakeness. You know, they've been 
by and large, people have been trying to manipulate them for their entire lives. They know when somebody's full of it. And Luke didn't change his approach. He did all the things he did as an assistant. He would work out players and rebound for them, uh, as opposed to saying, now that I'm holding the clipboard, it's different. And because of that, and because he also had good play calls, he's got a good offensive mind, um, I think that the Warriors didn't really miss a beat. Now, there were some things that were different. I think Kerr would have done, Kerr would have been more on the side of resting guys, as we talked about before. Uh, Luke, it's funny, even though Kerr hired Walton, Walton is more of the Phil Jackson school. That's where he got a lot of his coaching ideas from. And Phil was more of the idea of if you can play, you can play. So I think that was a philosophical difference, and it might have bit them a bit. But other than that, and I'm nitpicking, for a guy thrown into that substitute teacher situation, hey, it's hard It's hard to criticize the job he did. No, I'd agree. Um, and and I, the thing, I think Luke is going to be a really good head coach, whatever job he ends up in, because of that, that what you mentioned about him just kind of being himself. And, you know, I wasn't around him a lot. Um, I started covering the league toward the end of his playing days. Um, but he, even just, you know, in his dealings with the media and, and, and just being around him a little bit this season, he's just a really laid-back guy, um, and you could tell that the guys genuinely believed in him. You know, even though he was there as kind of a, you know, a stand-in for a while for Steve, like you said, you could tell that those guys were, were you know, they had his back, and it wasn't, it wasn't quite a, you know, oh, there's a substitute teacher here, let's do what we're going to do thing. And, you know, a lot of credit to that goes to that team because they were, they didn't allow that to happen uh, as individual players. But, you know, yeah, just his demeanor. Said, no, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. No, as Bogut said, we police ourselves. And on some teams, they don't. So there is this collective sense that we all need to pitch in. I know Draymond sort of amplified his role as a leader. And they, they, held, they held the fort uh, in his absence. And it was this funny dichotomy between them and the other team in the, in the Eastern Conference. And I think I wrote about it around the finals and some cast fans got mad about it where I was saying it was an interesting difference between these two teams, um, where one is a sort of copacetic, people are getting along, and that the Cavs might win despite not having that. And the, the Cavs were this great despite the Knives being out, and despite uh, the players having this rift, uh, this rift between the players and Blatt. And it, it was just such an interesting dichotomy on the day Blatt gets fired to see Steph Curry uh, taking interview questions after the Pacers game, and he's wearing a shirt with uh, the 96 Bulls on it, with Kerr on it, and he says that he's wearing the shirt because Kerr's on it and he's back. You know, it's just it was just this sort of uh, funny difference between uh, the Warriors who, and this this is subject to change, right? You know, people can be happy and then they're not, but it feel it felt in some way like the Cavs. That's the NBA I know, like the hyper political. Um, everyone's getting knifed, and the Warriors, who are sort of this hippie commune right now. The Warriors are a special team in a lot of ways, and and that's that's one of them. And really, you know, the 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 amazing thing is, you know, there's there's really two teams like that, and it's the Warriors and the Spurs, and you know, every other team in the league, even the great ones, teams like the Thunder and the Cavs and the Clippers, um, you know, they have all kinds of internal drama and issues and. You know, guys maybe leaving in free agency or, um, you know, coaching changes or, you know, all this different stuff. And meanwhile, you know, 
I know the Warriors just changed coaches a couple of years ago, but you know, barring health, Steve isn't going anywhere anytime soon. And you know, Bob Myers, he and Bob Myers seem to get along fantastically. And um, you know, that organization from the top down is all on the same page. And it's the same thing with the Spurs. And I, I think you know, it's not a it's not a coincidence then that you know those two teams are you know historically great teams. And you know, hopefully. Hopefully tomorrow is the or Monday is the first of you know eleven times they play this year because that would be that would be pretty great. Now before we go, I want to ask you um, two questions that I asked Jeff uh, at the end of of uh, of his segment on the podcast. First being, I think the two top choices for MVP in the league right now are Stephen Curry and Kawhi Leonard. Um, if you had to pick, who would you pick as MVP? I would pick Curry mostly because of how miserably awful the Warriors look without him when Kawhi Leonard isn't playing, the Spurs are still firing on many cylinders. Now, that's not to take... That's such an NBA cliche. That's not to take anything away from this guy. <laughs> I hate myself for using Radio, that radio Ethan I'm voice. Huge. <laughs> that's not to take anything away from Kawhi, but how about you? How about you try to score in isolation, buddy? Stop moving the ball like a coward. No, Kawhi is... One of my favorite players, uh, one of my favorite players to watch. Um, really, I think I, 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 I struggle to come away, I struggle to come up with a time of him more impressed by a player's performance uh, than I was by Kawhi's performance in the last time these teams played. He was magnificent and just dominant. And I, I've said that he's a top five player. I said it last year and this year, I think certainly just one of the top top three players. So I think he's fantastic and these things are subject to change, but just based based on how dependent the Warriors are on Curry, that would be the difference. I'd probably go with Curry. And a one word answer to this one right now, obviously, you know, they haven't played yet, but right now, which team is better? Oh, so hard. (laughs) That's so difficult. Can I can I know your answer first? Nope. Can I know your answer? I actually didn't say it on the on the segment with Jeff, so I'm I want to hear your answer first. Oh, this is tough. This is so tough. Well, what do you mean by better? I need I need the terms of this. Do you mean do, like who is going to do better in a regular season game tomorrow, or who would win in a series? Like, what Who's the I, better what team? Who's the who do you think the better team is right now going into the game? I don't mean like oh. I don't mean like current form. I mean like if like which team is better. Right now, no. Just which team? Which team do you think? It, not, I'm not talking about current form. Like before they play, which like just looking at looking at the two teams, which one do you think is the better team? Whew, this is so tough. This is so tough. I'd probably have to go with the Spurs. I'd probably have to go with the Spurs. I feel like, I, I feel I like feel that's like Ethan being court. contrarian. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like home court will determine it. Right, that whoever has home court is likely to win the series. It's important for the Warriors to get home court, but just this current incarnation of the Spurs, where they don't seem to have a weakness, um, I'd, I'd probably go with them. I think I'd it's, go with them. No, go ahead. Yep. Go ahead. You think it's what? What's, what's your? I was going to say. I think it's the Spurs by a hair. I, I've I've had the Spurs. I do these stupid power rankings every week. I've had the Spurs in for, as the number one team for like three or four weeks. I think they're just a little bit better. Um, I, and it, it, Especially when you use that word "team," you know, where just how do you even figure out a team where nobody's bad? 
<laughs> well, not only is nobody bad, you know, it, it, they're just fascinating to me because they they really can play any way that that you want. You know, they've got they've got they've got three or four big guys that are really good. Um, that you know, they've got four actually, and that doesn't even count uh, Boban Marjanovic, who I talked about with Jeff a little bit, and has been a pretty decent player whenever he's played. Like he's actually been efficient and pretty reliable big. And then they've got. You know, obviously Kawhi has been incredible. They've got Danny Green. They've got, you know, Jonathan Simmons, who they pick up off the scrap heap from their D-League team, who, you know, is this live-wire athlete who can shoot a little bit. Um, he's actually taken some of Danny's minutes. they got Patty Mills and, and Tony Parker. And they've kind of, they've just kind of got a little bit of every. and I didn't even mention Mano Ginobili. I mean, they've, they've just got a little bit of everything. And, you know, I just, I it's just, and it's really, it's just remarkable that, there really are two historically great teams um, in the league this season. I mean, it you know, it's not that this is just, oh, they're just the two best teams in the league this year. You know, they might be the two best teams of the last five or ten years in the league. They might be better than all the LeBron Heat teams and uh, going beyond that. So um, I do think it's the Spurs by a little bit. Now the Warriors will probably win by 25. Uh, yeah, and, I mean, that's where I'm at. Where We haven't seen them play, so it's right. just so difficult and then there's this other aspect of not knowing what the Spurs point differential means because you're going to shorten that rotation eventually. Uh, but I, it's just hard to find weaknesses recently. And I I can't wait for these two teams to play each other. Um, and there's not much there's not much profundity I can layer upon this. Uh, <laughs> and I, I, all I have to say is I'm I'm excited. It's exciting basketball. Yeah, it's it should be it should be great. So, um, all right, Ethan. Well, thank thanks again for coming on as the first repeat guest. Uh, have a lot of fun at the game. It should be great. Where uh, where could people follow you on Twitter? And besides your story about Steve coming back, what would you like to uh, what would you like to to get people interested in? Well, uh, I'm at Sherwood Strauss. You can follow me there on ESPN. Um, I can't even remember. I've been writing these gamers. I kind of like the one I did recently on the Warriors chasing the Bulls and how we get into these sports arguments about who's better and everything else when really we should just enjoy what's happening because that's that's what matters and that's what we'll remember about it is, is certain moments, uh, less so than the number. So I'd recommend that and I'll have some other articles coming out. And uh, thanks so much for having me, Tim. No, no problem, man. Happy to uh, happy to have you and have fun tomorrow. It should be uh, it should be a heck of a game. As for you guys listening, thank you for checking out the podcast today. Uh, be sure to check out the first part in case you missed it with Jeff McDonald from the San Antonio Express News, also previewing the Warriors Spurs game. Uh, you should be able to find that on iTunes or wherever else you you get your podcast. So, um, hopefully, you enjoy them both. And thanks as always for listening. Talk to you guys soon.